0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Teachers are an important part of how all of us grow and learn, but many teachers are struggling. A state report suggested that the majority of districts across Minnesota are significantly or very strongly impacted by the teacher shortage and believe the availability of teachers has decrease compared to just five years ago. And nearly a third of new teachers leave teaching within the first five years in the profession. Plus, you may know Minnesota still isn't hiring and retaining enough racially and ethnically diverse teachers to keep pace with the growing number of students of color and indigenous students across Minnesota. This hour, I'm going to talk with guests about what it's like to be a teacher right now and what is needed to help them thrive. I know a lot of school teachers have recently thought about whether they should stay or whether they should go. As I speak with my guests this morning about what's happening in the classroom, I wanna hear about your experience too. Students, what do you need from your teachers to make it a good school day? In your opinion, what makes a great teacher? And if you're a teacher yourself, how are you approaching the upcoming school year? to create a thriving environment for yourself and for your students. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000, or call us at 800-242-2828. But first, it's Monday, and I always like to take a few minutes to learn about the latest developments with the economy. NPR senior economics contributor Chris Farrell is here with me, and good morning to you, Chris. Good morning. Right, I try to keep up, but I, I believe the big economic news this week has to do with inflation again, and that there seems to be growing evidence that you know inflation looks like it's it's getting
1: better. It's getting better. I mean, that's the sense on on Wall Street when you're talking to the economists and you know the Federal Reserve Board. They meet in September. That's their next monetary mm-hmm. policy meeting. Mm-hmm. And the sense, the mood is, you know, they may. They may pause. They may not raise rates, which is a remarkable but, considering that that's all they've, they've raised ra- That's okay. all they've been doing. 11 out of the past 12 meetings, they've raised rates. And just to give you the numbers. So, uh, the consumer price index, which is this measure of goods and services prices, mm-hmm. you know, around the country, you know, rose at a 3.2% annual rate in July. And if you would go back to last year, back in June, that's when it was eight, nine percent. Right. So definitely coming down. You look at the core inflation, which is, which is your inflation rate minus food and energy. Of course, people often make jokes about, well, you're taking out the only things that matter there. Mm-hmm. But if you take it out, your sort of core rate of inflation, 4.7%. And. Angela, part of the reason why there is this optimism there is we're seeing declines in rental prices and we're seeing declines in home prices, and that's working its way through the numbers. So if you look down the next couple of months, the odds are inflation will continue to moderate, reflecting lower, less price pressure in the shelter part of the economy.
0: But it's too early to say that we can relax, right? I mean, um, prices are still rising, again, on critical things. Uh, Groceries still are not cheap. It's getting more expensive to fill up the car at the gas pump.
1: Yes. Have you you filled up your car lately?
0: I I told you earlier, I made the mistake of filling up my husband's car. And I was like, why did I do that? It was $82 to fill up. Yes, eighty-two dollars, so, and this
1: is economics. So you always have to be worried about what you know. What could go, go wrong? And a lot of it has to do with commodity prices. Because commodity prices, if you think about the price of gasoline, you know it's been going in the right direction, and now we're starting to see see a pickup there. And then uh you know you have some very significant people like Larry Summers, former fre- uh, Treasury Secretary, who's saying, "Look, you know this just might be something of a head fake because." We just don't get a decline in, in prices without a higher unemployment rate. So that still is out there. Nonetheless, you know, when I look at it, there's no reason to believe the economy can't continue to grow. Unemployment can stay down, and prices can continue to moderate over the next year. We'll get some insight uh, this week with some numbers. And the one to highlight is we get the export-import numbers. And one reason why people are going to look at that very closely is if you look at what's happening to China's economy, and this is not a good thing, but China's economy is sputtering. And it's seeing mm. deflation or falling prices. So, again, that may it's not good that China's economy is slowing, but it may – give us some additional price relief.
0: I noticed the Twin Cities metro area, we just made national news with regards to uh, to inflation. Uh, Bloomberg had a story that in May, that the metro area uh, became the first major metropolitan area to have uh, annual inflation fall below the Federal Reserve target of 2%.
1: Yes, so the number came in at 1.8%. And what the Bloomberg story emphasized, and relying a lot on a a recent Pew Research report, is the role that housing played in the better inflation numbers. So according to Pew, there are just four jurisdictions in the country, Minneapolis, New Rochelle, New York, Portland, Oregon, and Tysons, Virginia that uh, have passed new zoning laws that have loosened up the housing requirements. And, you know, when you drive around the Twin Cities, you're mm-hmm. seeing plenty of apartment buildings that right. are being built, right? Yes. And um, and that has helped to slow rent. So rent growth in Minneapolis since 2017 is just 1% compared with 31% in the U.S. overall, according to Pew. Now, one other takeaway from this, Angela, is we all know people that are struggling to find a home to buy, that are struggling to, to meet Their rent. They're trying to find a place, right? Many people. So this tells you how bad it is elsewhere in the country. If we're one of the bright spots, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, so the good news is we are one of the bright spots, but but this economy, this region needs a lot more housing. Than, right. than we already have, and so one of the things that's that's really changed is that housing shelter that's become economic development mm-hmm. and as people move here, particularly young college graduates, when they move here uh we need more housing to shelter
0: and so it it's actually you know shelter it's holding back the economy
1: it really proper, is proper
0: housing um any other reason to be uh, happy on this Monday, this rainy Monday morning? I want to highlight two <laughs> things because you know with economics a lot of times you're
1: stressing what could go wrong, you know, what we're, what we're concerned about. but I really want to want to highlight two things to celebrate because it, this has been such a difficult time you know with the yes. pandemic, and the first is the job market. you know, many more people have joined the labor force than was expected. you know, simply put. More people are working and they're adding to their skills. The year-over-year increase in labor force is 3.1 million. And the share of unemployment due to voluntary quits, you know, it's at that level that says people are still confident to quit their job because they think they're going to get another job. Mm -hmm. And um, just to highlight one other number, hotel and restaurant workers. Now, they're still not paid enough. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's make that really clear. But uh, over the past three months, their wage growth has been 7.3 percent. That's well above the rate of inflation. And so a lot of the wage gains have been going to lower paid workers. Again, still not paid enough, but that is something to celebrate. You go back to before the pandemic and wage increases were really hard Mm -hmm. in, say, like the hotel restaurant business. So our
0: topic today is uh, related to the calendar. Yes. Uh, getting ready for uh, classes to resume in schools. So we want to talk about the teaching profession, Chris. We know that most districts are really having uh, trouble filling a lot of open positions. Uh, what can you tell us about that nationally?
1: We have, you know, experts who really know what's going on. But the thing that strikes me is the strong job market that we've been talking about. You know, you have teachers that are exhausted from dealing with challenging students, you know, difficult parents, the administrative burdens. And I, I, but now there are options. You know, employers are looking for workers. And you think about teachers, these are educated workers, these are skilled workers. Mm-hmm. They have communication skills. Yep. Uh, they have the ability to deal with difficult people, right? I mean, all yeah. these hone skills. And so uh, the teachers are smiling. They're like, and, go ahead, Chris, keep and, talking,
0: keep talking. Keep so
1: <laughs> the option exists to shift your career, to shift your profession, which I think if you go back to that period of time from about 2000 to 2018, that was not really the story. I mean, remember, Mm-hmm. So many jobs. There was a line of people out the door, mm-hmm. and so you were competing with a very uh, with a, against a lot of people. Now employers are saying, "Oh, you want to come work for us? We'll even pay you more." Mm-hmm. And by the way, you can go take lunch when you want to get lunch. Oh, man.
0: All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> Chris Farrell, MPI senior economics contributor. Thank you, Chris, for your time. Thank you. All right, let's talk more about the teaching profession and what is leading so many educators to leave the classroom. Uh, why are many choosing to stay? What can be done to make it easier for them to stay and even thrive? Joining me in the studio this morning is Marnie Polly, a burnout coach based in Waconia. Now, she is focused on helping teachers. Marnie herself spent years working as a teacher and a principal in Watertown, Minnesota before starting her coaching business. Good morning, Marnie, and thank you for coming in. Good morning, thanks for having Next to her, we have Jasmine Myers here in the studio with me. Jasmine is a special education teacher of third and fourth graders at Carver Elementary School in Maplewood. She was a member, also is a member of the Education Minnesota Task Force that is focused on how the union and the state can support special education teachers. And Jasmine previously taught five years at Tartan High School in Oakdale and spent four years with Saint Paul Public Schools.
2: Good morning, Jasmine. Nice to meet you. Good morning, Miss Angela. Nice to meet you as well.
0: As a reminder to our listeners, as I talk with my guests, we're taking your phone calls, too. I want to hear from you, especially students and, and, and teachers. Uh, many of you, you're, you're out of school. Call us. Students, what do you need from your teachers to make it a great school day? In your opinion, what makes a great teacher? And if you're a teacher yourself, how are you approaching the upcoming school year? What are you trying to do to create a thriving environment for yourself and for your students? Let's talk about it. Call me at 651 651- 227 or call 800-242-2828 so Jasmine how are you feeling about going back into the classroom to be with your students uh, I think with your district uh,
2: classes resume after Labor Day uh, how are you feeling about returning in, in a few weeks? Oh I am very excited to start decorating my classroom being back mm-hmm. in an elementary school setting uh, we are the ones who love interior design and organization so ready to go in with my measuring tape and try to, you know, organize it up a bit so my students feel comfortable. That makes a difference, doesn't it? it? definitely makes a difference.
0: And so you specialize uh, in working with kids with emotional behavioral disorders. Describe what those
2: are and what that looks like. Uh, that is a great question. Um, I've dedicated 10 years uh, to the profession of special education, and I purposely selected emotional behavior disorders um, because that is an area of disability that affects um, a person's mental health and behavior within the school day and interrupts them from like learning and experiencing things with their peers. And so as a special education teacher, it's my responsibility to create those modifications and to empower students to know what abilities they can bring forth in the classroom so that they can be successful.
0: You have success stories you can share? Can you tell us about some, some
2: young people that you've helped? Oh, most definitely. There's so many great success stories that are so small. Um, For example, a timer, you know, those little timers you find at like a Dollar Tree. And like a kitchen? Yeah, the kitchen cooking Mm -hmm. timers. Those things are so effective for struggling readers if you have them and you put them on the desk and you say we're going to, our goal is to have stamina. We're going to read for five minutes. That timer gives a student a visual. It's very discreet and it allows them to feel very successful and to measure their success.
0: So there are tools that help create structure Mm -hmm. to create success. I like that. And the daily routine of teachers just in general seems very demanding
2: to me. What does your schedule look like as a special education teacher, Jasmine? Oh, it is full of so (laughs) much. Um, Of course, I am a teacher. I teach uh, five out of the six hours of the school day. I'm just like a second grade classroom teacher. I have small groups. Um, I bring students in and out of small groups that typically last for about 30 minutes Um, in the past. I've also co-taught that would mean going into a classroom and teaching simultaneously with a general education teacher. So my day is full of teaching. I I do get a lunch break. Um, Sometimes it can be for, you know, a few minutes or shared with a young friend who needs to, you know, talk about how they're feeling throughout the day. And I don't mind that experience because it helps to build a relationship. Um, But I, I, Perform a typical classroom school day of uh, five hours of actual teaching, which is why I got into the profession in the first place—to be a teacher and to be inspiring young learners.
0: Uh, I know you have uh, many friends who are teachers. So, what what are your thoughts about why so many teachers are leaving the
2: profession or taking a break? (sighs) Whenever I hear that question, I it 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 pains me because I'm a third generation teacher. Um, My Mm -hmm. grandmother. Um, she is 82 years old, still subs to this day in Texas. Um, my mother was a substitute teacher, um, and I I just felt like it was my calling to become a teacher. And when I see teachers middle of the year leave because they don't feel supported um, with time management, because, you know, for example, they might. Uh, need to have like an emergency situation and there's no one else to cover their class. Mm-hmm. And then that stress of feeling like you're leaving your class without the appropriate supervision. Um, when I say that, I mean subs who don't have the sub plans because now you've left without the opportunity to organize those things. And that mm-hmm. stress does weigh very heavy on teachers and they feel inadequate because then they're putting a lot of energy in they're leaving and it's just you abundant. You like you can't win. Yeah. You, can't, yeah. you
0: can't be successful about something that you're, you love. Passionate about. Passionate about. Marnie, you're a former elementary school uh, teacher and principal. Just hearing Jasmine speak bring back some memories for you?
3: Oh my gosh, yes. First of all, I just want to say thank you for what you do. And I think that, you know, saying that you have a, you have a typical day. I know there's a little bit more <laughs> that goes into your day than a, than a, a classroom teacher. So as an EVD um, teacher, I just want to thank you. There's there's a lot of love for people who hold your job, and I think it's so important the work that you're doing. Um, so thank you for that. I, I I flash back a little bit. You know, I'm on, I'm. You know, I went to the other side. Right. <laughs> I went from being a teacher to a reading specialist, and then into mm-hmm. administration. Mm-hmm. And um, it was always one of my goals to remember what it felt like, looked like to be a teacher in the classroom, and to not lose that connection that um, that I'd be able to advocate for my teachers and for their students. And I often would think of my teachers, once I was in the principal role, as my classroom. And they all have different needs, and they all have different scenarios. And so when it would come to burnout, when I would be sitting in my office, you know, halfway through the school year, and there would be a teacher who just doesn't know if they can make it any longer, even through the day, we would work on strategies like you do with students to just, how are we going to get through this day? Let's not even worry about tomorrow. Let's get through this day. What do you need? And it would just be breaking it down to figure out what is the stress? Where is the stress coming from that's putting you over the edge? Sometimes it's support. Sometimes it's they're ill and they have not wanted to take any time off because there's a substitute shortage. Um, my final year, I actually spent more time in the classroom as a substitute than I did, um, as a principal. Mm-hmm. So it was, I was feeling the strain also and, and my teachers were feeling it and they're amazing. They, they show up every day for these students and, and they're tired and they're exhausted mm-hmm. and they're doing their best. And sometimes there's just not the resources, um, to fulfill the needs that we have. Money. you've in the past you've talked about a moment when you were
0: still working at a school, and that moment you realized that you were paralyzed by fear that your life wasn 't going to to turn out the way that you envisioned it. Take me back to that time. what was going on as you made the decision I need to leave uh, teaching and, and administration
3: yeah, so that actual moment I call it my Adirondack chair moment. I was sitting out on the front porch and I was having a sip of coffee and I was reading um, reading, and I just hit this revelation where I was like, this does not need to be this way. I do not need to be living life like this anymore. Um At that point, actually, what happened is it catapulted me into kind of looking for this elusive balance and chasing that. So that didn't take me straight into um recognizing burnout. It actually took me into probably moving towards it because I thought, oh, I need one more process. If I have one more this, one more day of this, one more Saturday where I can get things figured out and I can be with my family and fulfill the duties of this job and maybe this idea will help my school and just these are the things I'm looking for. Well, then I went into the work grind and wearing the busyness badge and going, 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 which led to burnout And at that point, my actual leaving from the profession was a medical leave. It wasn't um, actually by choice. I had decided to go into marriage and family therapy uh, because I felt like that's what I was doing, but I wasn't trained. (laughs) So I had decided that I was going to resign, go into marriage and family therapy, and had this idea of being able to help teachers and educators understand we're playing that role All the time. I mean, Jasmine, would you agree? Do you feel like... As a therapist? (laughs) Yeah. As a teacher, you're wearing Mm -hmm. a therapist hat too. Mm Yeah. Yes, Jasmine? Oh, yes. Um,
2: Having the EBD licensure um, as a teacher has a therapist element to it as a case manager where I have to analyze behavior and write reports Mm -hmm. um, depending Mm -hmm. on when report cards are due. So parents are typically used to getting a report card from their grade Teachers, but special education also has to provide progress reports on IEP goals and do all the due process paperwork that goes along with that individual need of that particular student. And those documents could be somewhere between 15 and 20 pages. That sounds time consuming. Very time consuming. Okay. Uh, So let's go. You took medical
0: leave. Mm hmm. How do people react to that? Because I mean, uh, that's not a, a a cheery
3: conversation. Hey, morning. How you doing? I'm on medical leave. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was really challenging to be honest. I had to really um, kind of go into my values and figure out that this is what my family needs and this is what I needed. Um, also, I remember, and it's just kind of terrifying for me to think this is how I was feeling. I almost wished that I was that I had had like a heart attack because it was visual. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's a physical, that's a physical, physical right. visual thing that people mm-hmm. can say, oh, my gosh, but, what do you need? Can we bring some lasagna? Back? Yeah, right. You but, broke your leg. <laughs> oh, my can I help you? Like I'm clearly on crutch- mm-hmm. crutches then. Right. Like I there's there's a visual to it when you're struggling with anxiety and depression and overload. It's not always visible. Mm-hmm. And in my mm-hmm. role, I really learned how to put on a strong face. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew how to put on a strong face. So it wasn't visible. And I had to realize that I am not in control of anyone else's thoughts. They are their own thoughts and just hope that they recognized no one would choose this. Mm -hmm. No one would Mm -hmm. choose to say, oh, I'm on a medical leave um, due to anxiety and depression. And people who are not educators, that they are also uh, maybe... Maybe not what they said,
0: but maybe in their actions or maybe just their facial expressions indicate to you to you that like oh you're being weak
3: or you're being yes. selfish because
0: you're teaching and you're a principal you're supposed to be helping mm-hmm. the babies did you get that
3: oh yeah yes I did it, and it was really challenging and um and when you're in that state when you're in that state you're it's like you're almost living in fight or flight mm-hmm. and uh, when you have that coming at you and that judgment and you feel the shame, It takes a lot of work um, mentally to stay on the other side of it and be strong enough to know that you made the right decision for yourself and your family. Um, And that took a lot of work and it was really hard and there was a lot of tears and uh, um, shame. But ultimately, it was the right thing to do. I mean, I was physically ill due to the stress Mm. of
0: my job. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the teaching profession. Soon teachers will be back in the classroom, but we know that many of them have also left their jobs in recent years and for many reasons. So we're talking about why teachers stay and why they leave and taking your phone calls. I want to hear from students and teachers on this. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or you can call us at 800-242-2828. And as I talk with my guests now, I want to listen to of our listeners who are on hold right now. Let's take some phone calls. In Mankato, uh, David is on the phone. Good morning, David. What do you want to share with us?
4: Good morning. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, I'm an elementary music teacher in the area, and I've got really great support from my uh, principal, from my colleagues, from my students' parents, and my Mm -hmm. students are great. And everything that I could hope for in terms of interpersonal communication and relationships is wonderful, Mm -hmm. and I'm so thankful for that. But um, as you know, people work a lot better under any circumstances in their job when they don't have something literally hanging over their head. And for me, in my situation, and for a lot of other teachers that have been hired since 1989, um, that's uh, what's hanging over our head is uh, the lack of a, a appropriate teacher pension program. Um, if I were to move to Iowa or Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, any of our neighboring states, I could retire seven or eight years earlier, nine years earlier, and have full retirement benefits. But in the state of Minnesota, we have to work uh, considerably longer. And obviously, there's not much of a difference in life expectancy between all our neighboring states and Minnesota. And it really does feel like a little bit of a – does make you feel a little less valued when teachers in the state of Minnesota that were hired at one particular time uh, get a benefit that's 40% more than educators like myself ever will. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really, really would hope that state of Minnesota, the legislative commission on uh, pensions and retirement and teacher retirement association. I really hope that they're able to take some serious concerted effort in uh, teacher pension reform for this year.
0: All right. That's David there in Mankato. Uh, Another phone call uh, in Oakdale. Bob is on the phone. Bob, what do you want to share with us as we talk about the teaching profession?
5: Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was a teacher in North Minneapolis, got my degree and uh, was pretty much taught through like a fierce lens of uh, social justice through education. And uh, my daughter was unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but uh, at the time anyway, diagnosed with autism at two. And uh, to give her the best shot with some early intervention, uh, we needed to do some in-home ABA therapy and it didn't make sense to pay a nanny. Uh, literally my my entire teaching salary. um so I stepped out of the classroom so I could be at at home with her. Um, and now she's going into second grade, no IEP, more or less indistinguishable from her peers. Um, but and I've been working at a at a grocery store for the last uh, four years, and it's at a point now where i'm I'm making more now um, than I was when I was a teacher. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, so you have and, uh, concerns about the salaries and, of teachers, Bob.
5: I mean, for such an essential profession,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
5: there's not a single person, not one, has, who has gotten to where they are without the help of teachers along the way. Right. And uh, I, I don't think teachers are seen as professionals in the same sphere as like other professions are, and I, I think pay is extremely reflective of that. Mm -hmm. And like people's perception of teachers of, well, you have summers off and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. uh, Well,
0: Bob, I want to hear uh, from our our guests about this. Thank you, Bob and Oakdale. So, uh, so two callers, uh, both men in the teaching profession, uh, talking about salary and pension. uh, What are your thoughts about what they had to share, Jasmine?
2: Um as a member of Education Minnesota, one thing that I noticed, um, the teachers Union, yeah, the teachers Union, mm-hmm. was that um, the leaders within Education Minnesota really pushed for some pension reform and are uh, speaking with legislators in order to have what members are asking for happen. Um, of course, it takes local leaders as well when you're negotiating your contracts, to be informed about what's happening across the state and be able to leverage the information as a team because we are together um, stronger. Um, and I truly believe that there's more power in we than just the individual. Um, and that second caller that really spoke to me, I, I previously worked as an applied behavior therapist as well before coming into teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experienced early intervention and thought, This is a great opportunity for students who have that severe level of need to be uh, supported before entering school and, and noticing as like an outside member that that needed to be incorporated within the school. But once I made the switch from outside therapy to within the school district, there is, like I said, a lot of due process that kind of takes over a lot of. Um, our time when it comes to managing our stress as individuals, because it is it is very similar to the medical model where you have to write reports and all the time measure um, and also continue to teach students who are experiencing teacher burnout on the other end. You know, they don't have their teachers Throughout their whole elementary experience, they have a different teacher every year. Um, and I can remember my gym teachers back in, when I was in fifth grade and them working with my brothers and, you know, just having that relationship, that having that longevity within the field is very beneficial, not only to to students, but.
0: Do you think the salary concern, is that a big reason a lot of teachers are choosing just to do something else? Yes, Yeah, I would agree with that that money.
3: Yeah, I would. Because I mean, there's been there's been multiple times where I'll I'll have a conversation with the teacher and they'll be like, I can't believe I'm working this hard for this much Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's that worth and that, that time, the amount of time that that goes in for you know, the amount of money that they're they're getting. It's very difficult, I'm sure, for it pains a lot of teachers to hear that Bob's now working at a at a grocery store making more money than mm-hmm. he was teaching. And, and teachers are highly educated. I, I have mm-hmm. a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And I don't make the
2: same amount as other people in other industries with that same level of education. I have
0: a moment now to bring in another guest. Last week our show producers reached out to some teachers to hear about their experiences. And right now we can talk to Andrew Skirka. Andrew is about to start his ninth year as an elementary school teacher. And this fall, Andrew will be a second grade teacher at Oxbow Elementary School in Champlin. That's in the Anoka-Hennepin School District. He's also a mentor in Education Minnesota's BRAVE program. BRAVE stands for Building Resiliency and Voice with Early Career Educators. And this is a program that's trying to reduce the number of early career teachers who leave the teaching profession. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Hi. And reading about all of this, uh, I learned that nearly a third of new teachers leave teaching within the first five years in the profession. And that's a a new report published by the Minnesota Professional Educator Licensing and Standards Board. Andrew, why do you think so many new teachers are like, uh, no? I think
6: a lot of it has to do with um, having that. Common um, mentorship or having that community around new teachers, because I think a lot of the times when somebody comes into the profession, they're in a grade level with people that have been teaching for you know ten to fifteen to twenty years already, and they're not with people that are within that first five years of their own career. And I think what Brave really does really well through the union is that we get to get a whole bunch of teachers together that are within their first five years where they're able to talk about their shared experiences and how they can bring different experiences from their different schools throughout the state of Minnesota back to their own classrooms.
0: Mm. And so uh, is it working? Has it been helpful to getting, you know, people with similar experiences to being new to teaching together?
6: I think it has. I think, you know, we've, we've now done three of the cohorts. I've done two of the cohorts and we're currently hopefully wanting to do kind of like a BRAVE 2.0, um, to expand the program and also expand the program for just the BRAVE program itself. So getting more facilitators out there across the state So that. I mean, there are so many new teachers within education in Minnesota. and What we really want to do is reach as many of those people as possible.
0: So, Andrew, you uh, have worked as an elementary school teacher. What are some of the personal challenges you faced in this work?
6: I think one of, I, I think it's a, you know, they, we always talk about like a work-life balance and it's, you know, I could take my work home with me and and work until midnight if I, if I wanted to. And I think one of the things that we talk about within Brave and we, you know, go around kind of in a restorative circle and and say things like, what is it that you're doing outside of your work day? That's really going to help you either with friends or with family or even with other coworkers outside of the school building. And so it's making sure that we're taking that conscious step so that we are taking care of ourselves So that when we come back into the classroom and we're there for the students, we're giving 100% for the students and not taking anything
0: else away from us. So trying to create some boundaries. Um, Marnie's raising her hand in the studio. Uh, Marnie, our other coach, she's a burnout coach. What what did you want to tell Andrew? Well,
3: Andrew, I'm just wondering, I mean, it sounds like... Yes, Angela, Like you said, the, that we're working on some boundaries with new teachers, which I mm-hmm. think is important, and it, that's a common thread that I have um, with my clients. Do you, Andrew, find that it is difficult for new teachers to hold boundaries that they that they have the expectation that they should be working till midnight and staying mm-hmm. late every day and showing up early every morning?
6: I think it. I think it's. I don't know if it's given to them by anybody specifically. I think it's kind of just intrinsically who we are as educators that we want to give the best for our students and our buildings and I think that just who we are as educators we want to you know we want to keep doing as much as possible but I think having that conversation with people in the brave cohort we're able to talk about that it is okay to take time for yourself it is okay to make sure that you're giving yourself care and that that's going to build leadership within your building because once the educators get past that you know that kind of five-year mark where they're going to stay within the profession and they know what they need to do. And so they're able to share that experience and become leaders in their own buildings and share that experience with new teachers.
0: Now, Andrew, I uh, understand that you've had some challenges in your career with administration and and how school districts uh, tend to lay off non-tenured teachers. What can you tell us about that?
6: I think it's it's a a larger um, educational system issue. It's not just a specific, you know, this is, happening just to one person, I think. But again, it's, it's working with your administration, it's working with people in your building, and it's working, you know, with all other educators. And I think, you know, working with the union and using and utilizing what the union has to offer us helps, you know, with positions and and dealing with, you know, if there are pink slips that happen.
0: And so what, uh, what are your feelings about the upcoming school year? Um, I, I, I said that you're, uh, going to be starting um, this fall as a second grade teacher at Oxbow Elementary School in Champlain. Uh, Jasmine was saying she's looking forward to decorating her classroom. <laughs> what are you looking forward to, Andrew?
6: I'm looking forward. I'm moving to the building. I'm going to start heading into my classroom this week, and I'm really looking forward. You know, just to being with the students again. Um, you know, summer break is a great time to to reenergize and and get ready for the new school year, and I'm I'm really excited for the new opportunity, and I'm really excited to meet all the students again and and form those relationships because I think, you know, by the end of the school year, it's like it's a whole little contained family within your classroom and then within the Mm -hmm. larger building, and I'm really looking forward to that.
0: All right. Well, thank you for your time, Andrew uh, Skirka, an elementary school teacher in the Anoka-Hennepin School District, working with second graders soon at Oxbow Elementary School this fall, and a mentor in Education Minnesota's BRAVE program, which is trying to reduce the number of early career teachers who live the profession. Just, I want to ask you a question. Uh, another topic that has come up a lot uh, and that I have looked into and done talk shows about is the number of uh, teachers of color across Minnesota. Uh, we know that uh, Minnesota still lags behind in its ability to you know, hire and retain uh, teachers of color, uh, particularly when you look at the number of students of color and indigenous students across the state. Uh, what can you share about how this is, it, it is important as a, a black teacher uh, working with other te- uh, students of color? What what is what's the value of having that
2: um, representation and voice is very important in having um, someone that the kids see and they say that you look like me. Are you look like my auntie. Like, yeah. it's a natural you're, your Afro is giving
0: you life this morning. <laughs> I feel very comfortable. <laughs> you may have noticed this morning. Like, really, representation matters.
2: Most definitely. And the students can feel it. Um, I can think of a time where students ask me if things are racial slurs, that I know that they would be uncomfortable asking a different mm-hmm. teacher because they want to know. They want to learn. They don't want to be disrespectful. They want um, discipline. And, you know, if we're not able to show up as our full selves and with my full afro then they feel like they have to hide or be smaller than who they are and they don't we need them to show up who they are so that they can learn from that and become who they were always meant to be
0: and the recruitment efforts for teachers of color i think maybe i've read that you know minnesota has tried to get teachers from other states to come here what what's the answer how do how do we address this
2: It is definitely happening. I know everywhere I go, I'm like, come back to Minnesota or come to Minnesota. We need you here. Mm -hmm. And in my school in particular, there were um, three teachers of color within the building, um, more that were just in the whole spectrum of saying, like, I represent myself as a diverse member of the community. Um, And just people being able to let that out and express themselves, who they really are and identify themselves Mm -hmm. As they want to be perceived is important because students are receiving even our um, nonverbal cues. You know, we're teaching, but we're also role models. Mm. Marnie,
0: you left your job as a teacher, as a principal, and uh, took a break. Mm -hmm. You experienced burnout, and now you're working as a burnout coach. Uh, Who are your clients? Who's coming to
3: you uh, to say, help me? And how can you help? (laughs) Yeah, how can can I help? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. let's do this. Um, You know, Honestly, the 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 range is is just huge. It's anywhere from teachers, uh, people in the corporate world, stay-at-home moms, um, d- dads who are have taken on more of like the the parenting role since COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've also worked with students who are in college who are just oh, overwhelmed yeah. and not mm-hmm. knowing how to manage kind of those life skills and and study habits. So it's been really diverse um and you know like the mommy burnout you know we talk about teacher burnout and um there's mommy burnout parents are burnout yeah right. and right. part of the teacher burnout i think is also in you know correlation with the the parent burnout many teachers are parents yeah right and they're also dealing with parents mm-hmm. and trying to help parents okay now i want to just go back to bed <laughs> are <laughs> burned out. <laughs> real. Yeah, it is. It's real. People are tired, they're yeah. exhausted and um and then it just kind of keeps keeps cycling. So so what I do um as I work with people who they typically end up coming to me when they're kind of at this like exhausted I don't I find I can't see a way out. I'm trapped kind of feeling stage. And what we do is we just kind of break it down. There's depending on what you're, you know, what system you're looking at, there's different stages of burnout and mm-hmm. we break it down and we just kind of go, all right, what are you feeling compared to what do you want to feel and how did we get here? So we kind of look at that and then break it down into what small steps can we take that provide large impact? Mm -hmm. For some, it's finding a passion project. They've just forgot about their passions. Um, For some, it's meal planning and scheduling earlier in the week to feel like they have a plan for the week and they're not just running, running, running. I always joke, I'm like, my husband and I, the number one thing that we just get irate about is what's for dinner, you know, because oh, yeah, in the back of your mind, all yeah, day I don't tired, want to decide, and Pick I got to get home. I don't care.
0: What am I going <laughs> to yeah. do with those chicken breasts? Right, <laughs> right. So,
3: so time management. I'm hearing time management so boundaries um, around your work hours, leaving your work at work, deciding um, your priorities and your values. We did a lot of work around values, and that helps you make quicker decisions. There's a lot of, especially for teachers, decision fatigue. I mean, a person makes how many decisions oh. in a day, and then a teacher has 30 more kids in their room and they're mm-hmm. making even more decisions. So there's a lot of mindset work that goes into it. So breaking it down to little small, mm-hmm. small things and creating
2: tools. Uh, Jasmine, how do you keep it together? You know, one kind of constant thing I heard in this conversation was that self care was like important. I think it's crucial. You know, I think of whenever you get on a plane, they say, put that mask over your face first before you can help anybody else. So being able to identify resources like a coach that can support you and as something as simple as meal planning, because your diet is very important or joining union so that you, that fire can be developed and that you can collaborate with people who are maybe, New teachers are in the same. Get a mentor. Yeah, get the a mentor, mentor. Yes, those mm-hmm. types of things really support that
3: whole person
2: so they can show up, their yeah. authentic self. I,
3: I agree. It's, it's being able to just be your best self. Mm-hmm. How do we get to your best resource self to share that in your job, right, yeah. or with your family?
0: All right. We have a lot of uh, callers on hold, a lot of teachers waiting to get in on the conversation. Let's take more phone calls. Let's uh, talk to Mara in Hopkins. Good morning. Is it Mara or Mara? Are you there? Mara? Hi. Hi.
7: Yeah, it's Mara. It is Mara. Hi. Um, Good morning. <laughs> a- I would love to echo a lot of what other people have said about uh-huh. the pensions being broken, about not mm-hmm. getting enough pay, about the importance of mentoring. Mm-hmm. But what's really killing me lately is the parents telling me what I should be teaching their kids in the classroom. The school system is not here to babysit children. I have a degree, um, multiple degrees. Most teachers have been trained in how to um, and what to educate your kids in to make them good citizens for society. Mm -hmm. And parents lately have been telling us that the books that we teach their kids are dangerous and scary, and it tends to be around things like race, or uh, poverty or around lgbtq issues these are citizens who are going out into the world they need to be exposed to a variety of different cultures and contents
0: the realities of the world we're getting
7: so much Mm -hmm. pushback yes Mm -hmm. the realities of the world and we're getting so much pushback now about my kids shouldn't have to read that and then the kids will come in and tell me about the movies or the video games they've been playing and I think, and you you can't read a book with a sex scene? I don't understand. Please trust the professionals.
0: All right, Mara from Hopkins. Uh, on behalf of all parents, I uh, I apologize, Mara, because I know parents can be a lot, but she makes the point. Teachers are trained professionals. Trust your teachers. In uh, Red Wing, let's hear from Tim. Good morning, Tim. What do you want to say?
8: Good morning. Hi. Uh, I've been listening, and I appreciate the comments of my colleagues. Uh, I am a veteran of U.S. military service as well as being a teacher, so Mm. I appreciate the concept of uh, our profession as civil servants, and money has never been the driving force for the vast majority of people who go into education. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we don't deserve better pay, more pay, better benefits, more respect, but we largely, myself and others, I've been almost three decades in the classroom at college level and high school. And um, we're largely there because we love our subject matter and we love working with youth of America, whether that's kindergarten through senior year mm-hmm. or beyond. Mm-hmm. So I just uh, I look forward to the fall semester. And I wanted to just briefly <laughs> address you. You had mentioned you'd asked several others what problems, what's driving Younger teachers out or older teachers jumping ship early. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last caller had some wonderful points about the pressures, you know, that we're all reading about, hearing about in Florida and across other states with the conservative movements. Um, But when it comes down to it, for a teacher in the classroom, my experience is, is it's all about administration. Does your principal, your assistant principal, do they have your back? Are they going to exercise the discipline with the students necessary? They're going to go to bat for you with the parents or the school board and with your colleagues? Mm. Is it going to be a fair system? I've had good administrators, and I've had bad. Thank so you. That's really where the crux is of it. Thank
0: you, Tim from Red Wing. So uh, many good points here. And just in our last uh, minute here, uh, Marnie, you talk about something called August anxieties. Uh, what is that, and what advice do you have for uh, folks heading back into the classroom?
3: Yeah, so it's you know it's a transition. It's a right. nightmare it's sometimes. <laughs> Wait,
0: right. wait, wait. You just said you were happy. Now you. Now
3: where's the word nightmare there, coming?
2: We have like phantom nightmares of okay. like we're running late to class. We can't find our classroom. August anxiety. Yes. What August is anxiety. <laughs> what so, is it? so
3: it's just, it's the change of the season, right? So it is going from the summer schedule to getting back into routine. And I think that it is, it's for parents, it's for students. It's yes. getting, getting the schedule, getting the logistics, getting the classroom <laughs> set up, also getting to all the trainings mm-hmm. and then the parents and who are going to be your kids and so what do I do so it's kind of back to this ultimate Mm self-care right and holding boundaries and figuring out what it is that is causing that August anxiety because if we can get to the root we can figure out a strategy that's going Mm. to help small changes big impact
0: all right. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I promise you we will continue this conversation about what is happening in the classroom and what can we do better. Thank you so much uh, to our guests and all of our great listeners who called in. I appreciate you. And to our students, I hope you have a great school year and you get great teachers. We've been talking with Marnie Polly. Marnie Polly, a burnout coach based in Waconia, previously worked as a teacher and principal in Watertown, Minnesota. And Jasmine Myers headed back to the classroom after Labor Day, a special education teacher of third and fourth graders at Carver School. School in Maplewood. This conversation was produced by Danelle Cloutier. Be safe, everybody. I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.